I'm Laurie Mallon, and this is the Results Without Restriction podcast, the show where results have nothing to do with weight and everything to do with setting and reaching health and fitness goals that focus on what we're achieving and not what we're losing. We'll talk about deprogramming from diet culture and get expert advice on reclaiming your relationship with food and movement. Join me on this journey to get results without restriction. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Shannon Hennig, who is an online trainer who works with women from a body positive and size inclusive perspective. She's an advocate for sustainable fitness and nutrition that gets clients lasting results without the pressure to lose weight. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Lori. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited because fitness and particularly uh, personal training is one of those topics that we don't dive into enough on the podcast. And I'm as a a former certified personal trainer myself, um, I am excited to talk about movement in a way and as something that we do like movement for the sake of movement and moving away from all of these other um, diet culture references to why we should be moving Mm-hmm. goals that we have, results that we're going to get from it, and just reframing this into a movement for the sake of movement for the, all of the other benefits that we're going to get from it, and just the pure enjoyment of it. So I'm pumped. Great. I'm glad because it's a really important topic and nobody talks about it. And so it's it's great to be able to have the conversation and to get people hopefully starting to think of movement as something that isn't to do to be done so you can lose weight. Because that also always seems to be like the only reason people do it. Um, or you get people that are like really hardcore into it and they're off doing all kinds of stuff that the rest of us are like, well, we can't do that. I can't do that. So you, you're in a situation where it's like, well, you know, I have no reason to because I just don't fit into either of these molds. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that portion of the conversation. And and I guess I'll start off with a little bit about how I got to where I am and and why and why I had this big shift in my thinking about movement. Um, I was born in the late 80s and then grew up in the 90s, right in the height of diet culture. And I was a I was a chubby, chubby kid growing up. And my mom, um, she had a lot of her own body image issues. And I can remember I was about six. And the first time she put herself on a diet and went, went the slim fast way. And I remember her being absolutely miserable, uh, but she lost 24 pounds and was like, oh, great. But then that started a whole yo-yo dieting and, and seeing those kind of behaviors from my mom. And then as a larger child, and for me, it was not only like my weight, but my height as well. Like I grew incredibly fast. And by the time I was 11 or 12 and in grade six, I was five foot eight and weighed over 200 pounds. So I was like, just big, always. And so of course, I was picked on, I was teased, all those kinds of things. And my mom thinking that, you know, she was trying to help me, bless her, was always after me to lose weight. So my body was always seen as the problem, because we couldn't find clothes. This was before, you know, you could find bigger sizes in kids clothes. Um, So you know, I was always trying to find clothes, it was always this struggle, this huge struggle. And um, So I grew up constantly on a diet of some sort, constantly feeling shame over my body. And then exercise, when you put that into the equation, and my negative experiences all came from gym class. 
and then being forced, you know, to do activities that I wasn't comfortable with or that I was slow at. And then, of course, being made fun of. Always the last one picked. Oh, now we're going to run the field. Shannon's going to be last. And it was just mortifying. So I hated exercise. I absolutely abhorred it. I hated it. The thought of going to gym class, I remember in junior high, would make me actually sick to my stomach. And I would come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses why I couldn't go. Um, my mom would write me notes. Like it was, it was bad. It was traumatic. I've, I've heard this term exercise trauma as of late. And I was like, you know what? I think that I definitely had exercise trauma because of just how horrible I felt and how I wanted nothing to do with it. So, you know, continue to have a very negative relationship with my body as a teenager, as a young woman, um, one diet after another. And I would, you know, I would go and I would lose some weight. Um, still not, of course, be small enough, not fit into the BMI, all those kinds of things. And was constantly doing cyclical dieting, constantly. Um, and so then I, when I was 27, um, I had got pregnant, had my son, and that was when my health really, really went sideways. I'd had um, a history of depression and anxiety. I hadn't treated it with medication. I'd done it through diet and exercise, but it was still a, an issue and got hit with really severe perinatal anxiety, um, had a traumatic birth experience, was in the hospital for my anxiety right after my son was born, and then spent a, the better part of a year not sleeping, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And um, that ultimately ended up in a diagnosis of fibromyalgia, along with PTSD. And so through that, uh, gained some weight, was trying different medications and was also doing a lot of comfort eating. And, but at the same time, I then started developing some really unhealthy binge eating um, types of behaviors where I would exercise three or four times a day because I was with my son. I didn't have anything else to do. I'd go to a yoga class before my husband would go to work. Then I'd go for a run. Then we'd do something else. And then I would come home. And I'd eat and eat and eat. My, my thing of choice at that point in time was vanilla ice cream with Nutella and Rice Krispies. So was on this very dangerous road of disordered eating, disordered exercise and gaining weight, um, dealing with trying to deal with uh, fibromyalgia and chronic pain and the chronic fatigue that comes with it was kind of like my, my life for from 2014, 2015 until 2018, again, dieting, I was gaining more and more weight. I'd, I'd actually gone to a, it was so funny. I'd gone to a nutritionist that specialized in intuitive eating and I'd read about intuitive eating and I thought, well, this, this seems like a, a really great way that I could go about, you know, learning to have a better relationship with food. And it was so bizarre because the first thing that she did was send me home with a food journal to track my portions. And I thought, like, this this doesn't seem very intuitive to me. And every time I would go and she'd be like, oh, well, you're not tracking your portions and well, I need to know what you're eating. I would come home and I would just be like, well, I'm just going to binge because it's a big F you. And so over the five months I was seeing this woman, I was still moving. I was still exercising, but I was eating to the point where I gained 50 pounds in five months. I had started running, long distance running in 2010 and had really started to enjoy it because 
of how I had never been able to run. And it was something that I found that I could do and I enjoyed it, but I used it as a tool to lose a pile of weight. So I'd lost 50 pounds running and then was still stuck on this disordered eating cycle, then had my son, then, you know, I'm, I've got this chronic pain condition and then I'm trying to manage it with this, with the food I'm eating. And just in this horrible cycle of exercise, diet, exercise, diet. And then in 20. Uh, 19, I was unhealthy. I was still exercising. I was doing my, had my spin bike in my basement. Um, I enjoyed exercise. And then I went on this diet called metabolic balance and metabolic balance. They say it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And that's always a, a trigger. Now, you know, now we, instead of calling things diets, we call it lifestyle changes. But this diet was incredibly restrictive, had had hard and fast rules everything was measured and weighed based off of my, supposedly off of my blood work. And, you know, when people say, oh, lose weight, go on a diet, lose weight and exercise, you're going to see improvements in your health markers. I didn't know at that point in time, because I hadn't been to my doctor because I was afraid to go because I knew that they would weigh me. And then we'd have a conversation about you need to diet and exercise. I was ashamed to go. And I didn't want to hear what they had to say. But unbeknownst to me, at that point in time, I had uh, just started to develop type 2 diabetes. I had uh, was in the middle of having developed heart failure and um, was really kind of on a really bad place health-wise. And, uh, you know, I could easily sit and blame myself and say, oh, I should have gone to the doctor. But I was ashamed. I didn't want to go to the doctor. I had no reason. I didn't want to be poked. I didn't want to be prodded. I didn't want to have all these questions asked of me. Um, but that ha- that changed in uh, July of 2020 because I started, I was doing my usual diet and exercise thing, but I was not losing weight. I was gaining weight at a very rapid rate. And the, the food I was eating, it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, how is this happening? So over the July of 2020, I gained 20 pounds. And I went, okay, that's not normal. Um, and I started puffing up and my legs were getting really puffy. My face was getting really puffy. I was starting to have problems breathing. Um, and, you know, we were right in the middle of COVID at that point in time. And the, the breathing problems and a lot of the other symptoms I was experiencing, I was just was like, oh, wow, it's COVID. Okay, cool. Well, maybe not cool, but it's COVID. There's something wrong. So went to our local ED department and spent a night there and um, they did blood work, you know, the, the usual stuff. Um, and they were contemplating sending me for a CT scan, but it was, it was late. They were backed up and eventually the doctor just came and said, well, you know what? There is a bit of a shadow that pulled, that showed up on your chest x-ray. Um, we're going to get you to follow up with a, a outpatient clinic. They'll do a CT scan. They'll call and they'll book it for you. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I said, oh, it's just a cold. It wasn't COVID. So probably about, I want to say it was nine or 10 days later. I woke up that morning and I felt absolutely dreadful and my legs were so puffy um, and I could literally feel like fluid running down inside them. It sounds really gross, but that's the only way to describe it. So I called a nurse practitioner and described my symptoms and she said, you need to get back to the ER and advocate for yourself. You need someone to take you seriously. And so I knew my blood pressure was quite high because I felt horrible. And so anyways, went into the ER, showed up there and they started doing, you know, diagnostic tests. I couldn't lay down without pain um, in my lungs and my blood pressure was through the roof. 
And so I did have to start advocating for myself saying, I'm in pain. I can't breathe. You need to do this. This is what they didn't do last time. So fortunately, they listened to me, um, went to a C for a CT scan. And when, within about 10 minutes of being back in my room, I have this doctor and this suddenly this big team show up and they're like, hi. So, you know, how do you put this to someone who's at the time I was 34? Um, so you have something called pulmonary edema and you're in heart failure. And I was like, what the fuck? And they're like, yeah. So, you know, they explained to me that pulmonary edema is when your lungs start to fill with fluid, which is why you're having problems breathing. And then it's all backing up throughout your body, which is why you're a big puffball. And then with the heart failure, that is just a result of too much stress on your heart, too high blood pressure for too long and your heart is very sick. So did the emergency treatment to clear the, my fluid, the fluid off my lungs and, and then started draining off my body and then um, was in ICU for four days and then up on a regular cardiac unit for two. And fortunately, I don't know if it was like luck of the draw or serendipity, but the cardiologist that was on call, um, I mean, we've got great cardiologists here, but the one who was on call that was assigned to me is a really amazing man named Dr. Todd Anderson. And he's one of the top cardiologists in Canada um, and was recently named as the Dean of Medicine at our university. And so he was just wonderful from the start, explained everything to me and said, well, we're going to put you on this concoction of medication. And essentially the idea behind it is that it's going to relax the muscles in your heart and it's going to allow it to knit itself back together. So with heart failure, what it is, is your, your heart basically just slows down and is tired and doesn't pump blood the way that it should. So you're having huge issues with oxygenation and essentially your heart is dying more or less, but with the medication, it can turn it around. So was discharged, did my medication, continued with exercise. I was gentle at first, but then given the all clear to head back to doing, you know, more high intensity stuff. And by February of 2021, I went for my, my um, follow-up um, scan or ultrasound. I can't remember what it is, EKG or something like that. And unbeknownst to us, my heart had quickly returned back to normal. And so like, it was a combination of the medication, exercise, trying to follow a low sodium diet, but ultimately I, it was completely turned around. And so I felt like I really got this second chance and, um, you know, I continue to be in a good place where I, you know, I monitor my blood pressure. I do have high blood pressure, but I'm a medication for it. Um, I do have this type two diabetes that I'm working on, uh, managing and trying different medications for that. Um, but ultimately I found that fitness and once I found movement that I really liked and that my body was capable of was when things really, really turned around for me. Like I stopped doing spin in my basement uh, last summer and started going on really long walks and then turning it into run walks and getting back into running. Um, then I started going to orange theory and doing high intensity interval training, but that was also my first real introduction to strength training, lifting weights and doing it in a progressive way that ultimately um, eliminated my chronic pain from my fibromyalgia. And then I had chronic neck and back and shoulder issues from previous injuries. And through that strength training and the work that I've been doing, that, that was eliminated. So it was like this light bulb went off for me. It was like, okay, so I don't have to be punishing myself or trying to lose weight 
I could actually go and use the strength training to get rid of my pain. And as a result, I've have been able to reduce my pain medications. I'm stronger. I'm fitter. I'm all around just a much more holistically balanced athlete. And I consider myself an athlete now because of all the stuff I do. And you don't have to be doing all the stuff you do. If you move your body and train it in a certain way, I consider you an athlete. And so when I decided to become a certified personal trainer, it was because I thought, I want to work in Orange Theory. And you need to be a CPT in order to do that. So I did it online last year. And they're not hiring. Then I had a light bulb moment where a girl that used to work for me said, well, could you be my personal trainer? And I was like, well, yeah, I totally could. And that was for me, it was like, well, why have all this knowledge, all this learning and ability to actually go and help people get a result that maybe isn't weight loss, but it's about movement. It's about feeling better. It's about addressing pain. It's about addressing just even those things in daily life. Like I look at how much stronger I am and can walk up all four flights of stairs from my basement to the top of my house or how I can carry all my groceries or, you know, just these things that you don't even really think about as being fitness, but they're so huge and they're so, so important. And so, like so many women are struggling with pain or so many women are struggling with low energy, lack of, you know, inability to sleep and looking for a solution. And the answer is right in front of us. And it's through movement. It's through healthy movement. It's through looking at our nutrition, but it's also looking at all of those other factors that we don't consider. So for me, I look at things from a body positive perspective, and that's looking at our bodies and celebrating them and loving them for what they can do, but also acknowledging that there's things about our bodies that we're not going to like, and that's okay. That's fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean we have to change them. And in a lot of cases, we can't change them. Shannon, let me ask you this. So we covered kind of like your backstory. You had a, a you know, a really um, a long history with cyclical dieting, chronic dieting, um, growing up as a child in a larger body, the influences of, you know, like we all had probably in the, in the eighties and the nineties, parents who just, you know, this was information that they had. There was, you know, everybody can lose weight. If you're in a larger body, you're unhealthy, you need to cut calories, restrict to get smaller. This is just what you do. This, these were accepted truths from doctors, you know, medical professionals, all of our media basically reinforced this message. So you mm-hmm. had this history, you got to a point, you became a mom, you had your own medical um, situation, really a crisis, a health crisis. And that was a turning point for you in terms of caring for yourself and really just shifting the focus away from the outside and more of the inside and how is my body functioning and and how can I support it and healing? Mm-hmm. And I love that you found something. You found Orange Theory. I love Orange Theory. I think it's a great workout. It's a great program. You found something that you enjoyed and you said, great, how can I do more of this? How can I incorporate more of this in my life? Became a trainer so that you could actually work there. And then it didn't even occur to you, right? Like you weren't going no, out. No, it saying, never hey, even wanna- occurred to me. Hey, I want to be a personal trainer. I want to help people like me who are in, you know, larger bodies who 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 struggle with staying active or being active or, you know, finding a place where they can feel comfortable doing any kind of movement. Um, 
you know, you were, you were in it just for like something that you loved. And then that turned into a kind of evolved into, well, now I can take my experience, my knowledge and my focus and, and help people who are kind of in the same place that I was. So mm-hmm. you're now working as what we call, you know, a, a personal trainer with a body positive focus. Mm-hmm. Do you use that label? That's a body positive trainer. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been playing around with labels and playing around with what I call myself. Like right now on Instagram, I say that I'm a size inclusive personal trainer. I tried body positive and I don't know what I, what my struggle is and what I'm trying to land on is whether people know what that actually means. Um, because it is, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not something that's really mainstream at this point in time. And so, you know, when you're marketing yourself, you don't want to have to stop and explain. Uh, so I'm, you know, body positive, size inclusive to me sounds like a little bit more like people would have an understanding. But when I do, you know, talk with clients, it's about, okay, so size inclusivity, I don't care what size you are. Um, you know, you could be a size 20, you could be a size two, you can still have, you know, confidence issues when it comes to working out. So it's not, you know, cutting people out because, oh, you're small, I'm not going to work with you. No, hardly. Um, but then, you know, explaining body positivity as though it is like, it's just, it is a lens. It is a way that we can approach fitness that you, we work so much of it is, is a mindset piece, right? Like when, when I'm like with my program, there's, there's three different things we address. One is the fitness component. Two is the nutrition component and trying to start healing that relationship with food, making, you know, nutritional choices that are good for our bodies, but also being like, Hey, you had ice cream and a milkshake, you know, you had a milkshake and burger and fries, like whatevs, no big deal. Um, But then um, the other part is the mindset. And the body positivity falls right in that mindset piece. You know, it's shifting a perspective about your body. It's not saying, like I said, it's not saying you have to love every part of your body, but it's more about respecting your body for what it can do, for what it looks like, for the journey that it's taken you on. Um, I think that for me is one of the big, the big ones is we're so quick to go, well, yeah, like there's all these things it can't do or it hasn't done. We look at our bodies from continually from a deficit perspective or from a it's too big and I need to shrink it. So we're always looking at it as something that needs to change. And my approach is to look at our bodies as, okay, there's things I don't like. Like, sure, great. If I could, you know, have a smaller stomach, that'd be great. But then I go, well, why? Why is it, you know, it's starting to look at those under the surface reasons about why. Is it because somebody somewhere said something? Is it something I saw on Instagram? Is it something in the media? Is it something, um, you know, that I read? And so for body positivity, it's about celebrating and honoring your body and respecting it for what it can do. And then you always have the opportunity to push it further if you want to build muscle. Or if you want to increase your cardio endurance, but doing it in a way that's respectful of your body and understanding your current limitations and that there's other ways to go about doing it and reaching goals that's respectful of your body and that's positive about what you can do. That's not based off of a metric that was designed for like a high school or college age male. 
So it's about, it's really about reframing how we view our bodies, how we respect them and how we use them. I love that because, you know, when you get to be over a certain age, you know, you've had a a lifetime of messaging around what the purpose of exercise is, how you should look while you're doing it, how much you should be doing it. And just this love-hate relationship with exercise that we're supposed to love what it does for us, but we hate doing it. Um, If you love working out, you're a freak, you're a weirdo. If you are into, if you're, you know, if you're not doing the typical like women activities, if you're into weightlifting or if you're into Mm -hmm. um, these strength focused or activities that have been dominated by men for however long, then it's, it's weird. Right. So I love encouraging women to, first of all, embrace the shape that they're in. Look at exercise as something that can be beneficial for so many reasons, physical, mental, emotional, all of these different reasons, instead of looking at it as solely a way to change your shape, shrink down, and just basically transform yourself, right? So we always see mm-hmm. these images of, you know, the before and after, which is so harmful. Oh, I um, hate before because, and afters. <laughs> I mean, it, well, first of all, before and afters don't actually show you anything related to health. They show nope. physical transformation, which could have been, uh, uh, you know, achieved in a way that's not healthy. It's not sustainable. And it glorifies becoming smaller. What I find so harmful about them, it's this before and after comparison, right? Like this old person wasn't worth anything. This new person is worth something. And then you're going to always get people that look at the before and after. And I know that there's like a hashtag out there, um, you know, with a a lot of the fat positivity movement, I'm not your before. Um, Because ultimately, it puts so much shame on larger bodies. And we don't know why somebody is in a larger body, genetics, stress, um, all kinds of different reasons. And then also with those after photos, like you said, they may have achieved that result, but it could be in an unhealthy way. Show me your after photo in five years. That's more of what I'm interested in seeing. And in so many cases, you know, like the numbers are like between 80 and 95% of people regain weight and then some. And so, you know, if diets worked, you wouldn't constantly be going on another diet and the diet industry wouldn't be making billions of dollars a year. Shannon, do you know what I hear a lot when, um, when we talk about that, that particular statistic that you just mentioned that, you know, intentional weight loss efforts generally result in an 85 to 90, 80 to 95% or whatever. It's a, it's a really high number, right? Considering it's Mm -hmm. something people do uh, chronically, but they'll gain the weight back and then, and then some. So when you point this out to people and people are so defensive about their diets, they'll say, well, that wasn't, that was my fault because I didn't stick to it. You know, I went off, I went off with, what did they say? I went, I fell off the wagon and then I couldn't, you know, it's all this self blame about not being able to stick to something that was never meant to be a long-term change. Right. And then you mentioned this earlier, the whole, um, lifestyle. It's a healthy lifestyle, right? It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle shift, which is, oh, has been, this phrase has been co-opted by diet culture. And it's so sneaky that if we habituate restriction, we can, we don't have to call it a diet. It's not temporary. We're just going to do this forever. 
right? And yeah. then we shame people or we, we kind of get them to think, great, all you have to do is give up carbs forever. Yes. <laughs> all you have to do is not eat between 11 and, you know, 11 at night yeah. and, and two o'clock and the next day. It's never meant to be a long-term solution. And then people blame themselves when they invariably do what the diet is meant to do. You cannot, it's not sustainable long-term and you're going to have these results unless you're in this like single digit percentage of the population that is able to maintain this, this, the smaller body that they achieve. Everybody else, the results will not be maintainable. We talked about this before that, that, that preconception that people have when they think fitness trainer, you know, we've had these decades of images burned into our into our subconscious totally. of what what trainers should look like so what mm-hmm. is it like for you when you tell people yes i'm a certified personal trainer what happens what are the what do the conversations look like you know it's interesting like i talk about this i do a lot of stuff on instagram and doing reels and figuring out social media because there's a few other women in the space that have done well for themselves one is uh, louise green And she's just flat out like, I'm a plus size personal trainer. And she's done incredibly well for herself. And so when I'm like, yeah, I'm a plus size personal trainer, I don't focus on weight loss. You know, I wear a size 16. There's a few few different elements. There's relief because there's someone that looks like me and there's that representation in the fitness space that, you know, not everybody looks like Jillian Michaels. You know, you have this preconceived notion. And in in a lot of cases, it is the case, right? Like it's somebody who's ripped or really toned or whatever it is. And that is intimidating. Um, But when they see that, oh, like a personal trainer can look like me and, you know, there are things that I can't do. Like I still work on my pushups from my knees, whatever. And there's all these things we have it in our head that a personal trainer is going to come in and they're going to, well, everyone's like, oh, they're going to kick my ass. And they're going to look a certain way and they're not going to, you know, it's no nonsense. It's no excuses. So when I say, okay, so I'm plus sized, I don't, I believe, you know, you can skip workouts. You don't have to do excessive cardio. You know, you kind of get eyebrows that go up and are like, oh, well, like how come, like, well, if you, if you're, you look like that, what do you know about it? And it's this assumption that you have to look a certain way in order to know something. It's just indicative of how we put so much emphasis on looks in our culture, regardless of whether it's fitness or you like, you know, like you, you see a, like a doctor. Well, you don't look like a doctor. How are you a doctor? Or you're too young to be this or you're too old to be this or you're too like you're too fat to be a fitness professional. Well, what does that even mean? It demonizes fat. It assumes that fat is the problem that I haven't been able to solve. So why would I want to work with you? But when you start to shift those conversations, especially for larger women, well, I've been there. I know what it's like to be in that space. I know what it's like to have those limitations. So wouldn't you rather work with somebody that is going to be able to design a program that's based specifically off of you? I'm not going to treat you any differently than I would any client of any size. I'm going to treat you with respect. I'm going to treat you with dignity. I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to put my goals as a trainer, whatever those might be for you. I want to work with you on those goals. And I want this to be something that's sustainable. I want you to 
find a love of movement as opposed to viewing it as a punishment. So I'm kind of like, I'm your unconventional trainer, if you will. I don't fit the mold looks wise. My mindset and my approach is client centered. It's client driven. And, you know, if you want to start small and you want to start gradually building up and then set audacious goals, once we've established a strong foundation and a strong core, and we've established those fundamentals, there's nothing stopping you from that. And I think that that's the messaging where I'm finding, you know, more success with clients and having those conversations is that I'm like you, this is a lived experience in my body, and I can relate. And it's that relatability that is so desperately missing in the fitness industry. You see other personal trainers that come along and they make these promises like, oh, I'm going to help, you know, fat moms lose their baby bodies and and uh, be healthy again and make these promises. And of course, women sign up for it. And, you know, they look at who it is that's training them. And they, I think that there's this element of guilt and shame that if I don't achieve that result, again, I've failed. Um, and so seeing someone that is like, not your typical personal trainer, but I'm out there. I'm active. Uh, you know, I listen to my body. I'm respectful of it. I do what I can with it. And I, I'm, and for me, it's leading by example. Um, and that example is different and it's an alternative, but it doesn't make it any less valid. I've recently started exploring um, size inclusive training um, and looking to do certification in that because it's so important for accessible fitness to be available to anyone, regardless of their shape or their size, or if they have a disability, limited range of motion. And those people, um, men and women, are excluded from fitness. You do find gyms and you do find places where there is that ability or you know, people are welcome and open. But for a lot of people, that's not the norm. They walk into a fitness space. They don't know what they're doing. They're intimidated. If you're in a larger body, you don't know where to start. You feel like you stick out anyways and that people are going to laugh at you or they just make an assumption that you're there to lose weight. And so for me, it's really about opening up those doors, getting women moving in a way that they enjoy and seeing results that aren't necessarily weight loss related. So for me, you know, looking at things, I, I look at things from a body positive perspective. And that's looking at our bodies and celebrating them and loving them for what they can do, but also acknowledging that there's things about our bodies that we're not going to like, and that's okay, that's fine, but that doesn't necessarily mean we have to change them. And in a lot of cases, we can't change them. One of the big things that we're trying to do just in general is to shift the focus of movement for changing your outward appearance to movement for the sake of movement and all the benefits that come with it. What would you say for you personally are the benefits of being active, um, having a regular fitness routine program that you follow? What benefits are you personally experiencing? I think for me, the biggest one is the elimination of pain. I was putting up with so much pain for so many years and on high doses of medications and constantly going to the chiropractor uh, to get my neck and shoulders and my hips and my pelvis and everything realigned. Um, but if somebody would have told me <laughs> a long time ago that, Shannon, you can address, I knew that for the FM, 
gentle exercise was always recommended. Um, so I stayed away from that, that strength training part because I thought that, oh, well, this is going to aggravate it. Um, what I didn't realize is that it would actually have the opposite effect. My FM symptoms would disappear. Um, and then with the strength training and building my core, building my, my shoulder and my, you know, and I still, I'm still working on my, my right side where the injury is. It's the sore side, but I would have chronic headaches. I would have like every day I would come home from work or if I was working from home, constant pain. And for physical activity, strength training to take that away, that to me is worth everything, everything. So that for me has been one of the biggest benefits. Um, improvement in my sleep, uh, for, you know, for the most part, we all have crappy nights of sleep and that happens, but sleeping really well, waking up, feeling refreshed, having energy. I used to be someone that always had to take a nap. Like I could not make it through the day. I got to go have my nap. Now I'm like, I can't even nap. Like, what is this? I used to love my naps. I can't do it, but that is huge. That's huge. And then I think the other piece, the third one has been the exponential increase in my confidence um in my body in what it can do and i've just kind of stopped giving stopped giving other people's opinions the time of day that's not to say that i'm perfect and there's times where i'm just like oh gosh i wonder what they think of me or you know i look i look so fat or whatever it is but it's instead of how i used to dwell on those kinds of things and they would i would spend hours and my mental health was so so terrible and I would keep myself from doing activities and going out and trying things because I was so afraid of how I looked the freedom that's come from that now where I'm just like oh yeah sure cool I'll try that that sounds cool I've, I've always wanted to do that now I don't use my size as a limiting factor so like for example last summer I went and I tried um, stand-up paddleboard yoga <laughs> and I'm going to do it again this summer because it was so cool. But never in a million years did I ever think I'd be like stand up paddleboarding and then going and doing yoga on it and working on my balance and all of this stuff. So, you know, I did that. And then back in the, the winter, I went downhill ski lessons. I always wanted to try it. Um, so did it. Things like that where you're like, oh, I can't do it. I'm, I just no, no, never want to do it. Now I'm in a position where I'm like, let's go try it. Why not? Life's short. And that for me, that's those three things I think are, are worth more than losing weight and being a certain pant size <laughs> any day. I love that. You know what? For me, it's the confidence. There is something about pushing weights around that just makes you feel like you right? can do anything. I know. You, you stop caring what people think. I don't know. What, it's some kind of magic. I don't know what it, it is. is. I don't. I, it is. It's magic. I just love it. it. I, re I really think it's one of those things that if you want to feel good about you, like you, because because you can see the progression, like you can, and yeah. I don't mean physically, like in your muscles, like you can, if you're tracking your weights, you can see, I used to only be able to do 15 and it was a struggle. Or I only used to be able to do five or 10 and now I can do 20. And yeah. it just, there's just something magical about seeing, yeah. watching yourself get stronger and achieve things that, you know, maybe like, maybe you never dreamed of ever being able to do that. Like maybe you were a cardio queen and you were like a terrified of weights and now you're in the weight room all the time. And it's just, it's mm -hmm. so transformative and mm -hmm. amazing. 
Shannon, I want to talk about working with you and your programs that you offer. Can you give us some mm-hmm. information? Tell us, tell us what it looks like to work with you um, as an online trainer. Yeah, absolutely. So with my program, what I do and the way that I've, I've structured it is that um, I already briefly talked about it. We look at those three different domains. So we look at exercise, we look at nutrition, and then we look at mindset because you've got to um, address all three of those. And so when I say nutrition, like I'm a certified personal trainer, but I don't have, I'm not a registered dietitian. And so when we talk about nutrition, it's more about recommendations, tips, guidelines um, for making healthier eating choices, but coming from a perspective of like all foods fit into your diet. Um, You know, if people are looking for like a meal plan that specifically tells them what to eat, that's not what I do. It's not within my scope of practice. When we look at the fitness component of things, that's where we start looking at client-specific goals. And I start off with an initial assessment. And I look at where there are going to be muscle imbalances, limitations, those kinds of things, getting a full assessment of a client's current physical status so that we can then start talking about goals and addressing those through both cardio and through strength training. And so then program delivery, um, I use an app. The nice thing about that is that every week I can put in the fitness program. And so that's going to tell you, um, you know, what type of exercise you're doing, and it can all be done with or without equipment. It's really based off of what a client has at home, and what their goals are. And it might require like going out and buying like mini bands or resistance bands or something small, or just using things around someone's house, depending on what they have. Um, and then also the cardio component, it, it's all programmed in the app. And so you're not set, at, you know, like, oh, I've got a Zoom call at seven o'clock with Shannon and we're going to do a personal training session then. The app lets you do it when it fits with your schedule, which is beautiful. Then in terms of the mindset piece, this is where there is a Zoom call. And so once a week, there's a half hour Zoom call where we go over questions about exercise. If there is questions about, you know, am I doing this right? That's when I can take a look at form. I can take a look at how someone is actually doing the exercise and make corrections. So the app itself has video demonstrations and it shows you and walks you through those movements. But that Zoom call is the opportunity to actually show me and then get some correction or, you know, try this instead of this, move your shoulders back. You're going to want to have your knees over your toes, like all of those different things that you might not get. And so it's a great opportunity for clients to practice something and then to have that correction made. Or if it's not correction, then we start talking about, you know, progression and how we're going to progress, build strength, look at that goal setting. And then we talk about the mindset piece. You know, how are you feeling? Like general, generally, how are you feeling? Not just physically, but emotionally. Are you finding that this is taxing? Are you finding that this is energizing you? And for some clients, it's like strictly like, oh, I just want to talk about the, the fitness side of things. But for a lot of others, you know, there's like extra stress in their life. They want to talk about it. They want to talk about their kids. They want to talk about their job. They want to talk about this. And we, as a personal trainer, you kind of think, well, that's not really my job. But at the end of the day, actually, it is. Because if you're not addressing all of those other pieces in someone's life, they're not going to get a result. Exercise and food become just one more thing on their plate. And the stress management side of things 
is just as critical for being in a healthy state as what you're eating and what you are doing physically. I typically work with clients for three months. We start there. Anybody can make a promise of, you know, getting a result in 30 days. You'll start to see changes in 30 days. You'll start to feel better. But typically you're looking at three months and that's three months of consistency in making these changes and following through with the program. And then from there we evaluate and we and we go from there. So you have an online component and then you do have that real time face to face Let's talk about what's happening, what's working for you, what's not, what needs to be shifted, what kind of progress are we making, what else is going on, right? Because as you mentioned, everything is connected. We're going to have things that trickle in from different areas. So if you're, you have stress over here, that's going to impact your health. That's going to impact your sleep. That's going to impact your um, how you're eating, cravings. You know, if you are fueling yourself, which trickles down into your workouts, right? So if you're stressed, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, or you're not fueling, you can't work out, right? So like you said, Mm -hmm. everything is interconnected, whether you realize it or or not. So I love Mm -hmm. that the the app gives your clients a way to kind of fit the workouts in on their schedule. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, I have to be at the gym at four o'clock, because that's when my session with my trainer is. If you want to wake up at four in the morning, do your session, or you want to squeeze it in during nap time, if you want to do it at 10 o'clock at night, which I had to do do my workout at 10 o'clock the other night, because that's when it worked. You got to do what you got to do, right? So you fit it in when you when you want. And I love that convenience factor. So what I'm going to do is put all this information in the show notes so that if people want to connect with you and and get a consultation and see what it would be like to work with you if you're a good fit, I'm going to have all of that in the notes and they can uh, book a call with you. Shannon, what I'd like to do at the end of every episode is have my guest provide their top three tips for their area of expertise. So why don't you go ahead and share with us your top three tips for approaching fitness and movement? Top three tips, I would say, for starting and incorporating physical activity into your life. Like if you're starting from zero and you've been sitting at your desk all of COVID and you want to start moving, or maybe you've been moving a little bit. I think my, my, my top three tips are the number one is that all movement counts. And so you don't have to start by going out and being like, well, I'm going to walk 20 minutes a day, five days a week. If you haven't been doing that, that's not sustainable. So start by, you know, looking at what you do in your house every day, whether it's, you know, getting off a Zoom call and then walking some laps around your kitchen and going up and down the stairs a few times. That movement counts. That's still movement. So don't underestimate those opportunities to get moving in ways that you're not going to think are necessarily exercise, but they are still going to be beneficial for you. So that's my, that would be my number one tip. And and also look at activities when you are at home that maybe you've disregarded or you don't think of um, anymore because it's like, it's something your kids do. Like go buy yourself a hula hoop. If you never learned how to hula hoop, go buy a skipping rope. Like think about movement as play as opposed to something as punishment. And what are those things you used to do as a kid that you used to love? Maybe it's maybe it's going out and riding your bike. Maybe, it, and it, you know, not for fitness reasons, but you're going to go ride your bike around the neighborhood just to check things out. Um, the next thing would be to have fun and to bring joy into it and to not view it as something that's punishment. And I think then the, the, the final tip um, I, I would recommend is that if you are really serious about 
um, you know, wanting to get stronger, get faster, do whatever it is. Don't blame or don't let your weight hold you back from that. Don't use that as a reason or an excuse not to start because there's a lot of women, a lot of people that think, well, I just need to lose weight before I can do X, Y, or Z. And we know that that's going to be a challenge and a struggle. And so we keep it from holding us back. So don't use that as a reason or as an excuse to start. You might lose weight because you're, you're being more active. You might not, but stop holding yourself back and stop using that as a reason to not live your life. So movement doesn't have to be punishment. It should be fun. It should be something that you can incorporate into your everyday life and don't use your size as a reason to not live your life. Perfect. Uh, You know what? I know I've been guilty of this as well. It's almost like you want to wait until you've, you look the part to do the thing that you want to do, but it's like, but it's never going to happen that way. And you're going to end up waiting Mm -hmm. forever. So you'll be waiting your whole life. You will be waiting your whole life. So you might as well just go do the thing. This has been so fantastic. I'm going to be putting all of your social media links and your link to book a call in the um, in the show notes so that our listeners can connect with you. Um, you this has been this has been great. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Lori. Thanks for listening. And if you liked this episode, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Check out our show notes for this episode where you can find any of the links and resources that were mentioned during the show and connect with a health and wellness provider committed to helping you ditch diets and achieve results without restriction. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.